This is the final lesson in James. And it's been kind of crazy, and I, and I know, um, and I know that, that it's like we started in March, and we're here in May, and it's like, one of the, it's like middle of May, but like based on the way the month goes, it, it's kind of like the last Wednesday in May, um, and it's the final lesson uh, in this series. And we're going to get to go in tonight and read like the last few paragraphs of this book. And it's been, to me, it's been a special study. I hope that for you, as like we've been going through it, you've been like, man, that's a cool point, or that's a cool point. And you've been sitting there and you're like, this has been amazing to sit here and go through and grab things. And hopefully, as we've been going through this and, and gone chapter by chapter, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, you've been able to look at it and be like, I've never thought about James or that verse or that little passage of scripture in that way before. And I hope that that has been something that you've been able to at least, if anything, come out of this series and and uh, benefit from uh, as we've been in here over the last while. Um, what we're gonna do is I want us to just go ahead and just like we've done over the last two months, three months, that we've been in here. I want us to just go ahead and start reading, um, and and let the let the Bible speak to us tonight. It says in verse seven, "Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the earthly, uh, early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand." And I want us to stop there for just a second. Um, it's kind of an interesting switch that we see James go through here. He goes from, if you remember, talking about these like super wealthy, talking about these people and looking at him saying, hey, by the way, um, like, like be careful to live in luxury. Are you fattening up your hearts for the day of slaughter? And then he goes in and he's going to transition. And he says, oh, by the way, for those of you who don't have as much, for those of you who are poor, for those of you who are being persecuted, we're going to go in and, and I'm going to talk to you guys now. And he starts this out when he's sitting here and he's talking to people who, who, are, who are feeling down, who might not have everything they need, who might be struggling in the world. He starts out by saying, be patient. And suddenly, maybe, like for me when I read this and I like read it in this context, my immediate mindset like flips back to like the way he started this book when people are literally going through everything and he's like, count it all joy. It's like, wait, you're telling these people who are going through everything to be patient? You're telling these people who are, who are suffering? You're telling these people who are poor? You're telling these people who are being ridiculed by, by, by the Romans to be patient? See, then and now, we lived in cultures who want everything right now. And, and maybe you're going through a difficult time and, and and I'm sure a lot of people are, but a lot of times when you're like sitting in a difficult time, when you're looking at your family or a lot of other things, or maybe at school, uh, you're sitting there and you're like, man, I'm tired of being in this, this state of just sadness and I'm tired of going through the struggle. And like and our reaction is, let's get it over with now. And like, that's a common thing to think. And, and James, with the, with the spirit of God speaking through him, says, you know what we're going to do is I want us to discuss this idea of a farmer. Think about a farmer. 
They don't just toss some crop in the ground and then it sprouts up the next day and all their problems are solved and they sell the food and, and they get all this money inside. They sit there and they have to wait until the harvest. And you got to know, like, for a farmer, and he uses this illustration of a farmer, and it's, it's a beautifully done illustration, is with a farmer, there's a stress, right? As, as you plant your crops in the, the planting season, and as you go through the summer and the crops are growing, and, and you're hoping that there's nothing that goes wrong in the, the growing season, you have to wait all the way till the end. The, the farmer might be sitting there in February with very little, with very... Um, with not much at all, but yet he's going to still have to wait until the harvest. They have to be patient because eventually when that harvest comes around, and this is the illustration that James is trying to get up, he's like, eventually when that, when that harvest comes around, the farmer is going to take all those difficult times, all that hard work, all the struggles that have been, and it's all going to pay off. The fruits of their labor are eventually going to be there. And it makes me ask the question of what struggle are we going through right now? Are we going through a struggle where it's like uh, you're going through um, a, a lot of things in your brain or, or maybe it's like a struggle at home or maybe it's a struggle where you're like, man, my grades this semester or this school year are not anywhere close to where they needed to be. Or maybe your friends are rejecting you for being a Christian or maybe your Christian friends are rejecting you, or maybe your spiritual life is at the lowest point it's ever been, and you literally feel worthless every time you walk into a church building because you're like, man, why am I here? I shouldn't be here. This is not where I belong. Maybe you're just at a point where you're beyond frustrated because no matter what your struggle is, you're like, I'm ready for this struggle to be over. And James says, don't worry. I'll be there for you. Be patient. And then in verse 9, he writes, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And I think, like, like this is a verse that so often we blow by because it's like, man, look at the farmer. That's a beautiful illustration. And then next up, it's going to sit here, and it's going to talk about this idea of, of, like, patience and prophets and like these two beautiful illustrations in the middle is like don't grumble against your brother and, and we we a lot of times I think take this and it's like shove it to the side or don't realize it or don't recognize the fact that it's here and, and so often we think about this idea of complaining and grumbling and it's like man I'm gonna complain and I'm gonna grumble against people who deserve it right like I'm gonna complain and grumble against my boss because they're a jerk wait for those of you who work, you're going to complain and grumble against your boss. Or, or maybe you're sitting there and it's like, I'm going to complain and grumble against this teacher who hates me because they're a piece of trash and I hate them. And like, it's miserable. And I'm going to grumble against them because they failed me for no reason. And like, there's that idea. And we're like, man, that's a really tough thing. And then he's like, hey, don't grumble and complain about people who you're in worship don't grumble and complain about your brothers and sisters in Christ, the ones who you're literally knit to through Jesus. He's like, it's like a family getting annoyed with each other and so annoyed with each other that they eventually split apart because they're talking trash about one another. Don't allow that to take place. And, and it also brings me to the question of how often do we sit there and grumble and complain about people that, that we're sitting there in church with and we're sitting there and we're going to grumble and complain about them. I don't know, maybe this is you and, and this is the way, maybe you've said this or you've heard other people say things like this or, or something similar in the sense where it's like, 
Like, can you believe what they're wearing today? That like dress is way too short for coming to worship. Or, or I would definitely go to that event, but like everyone who's there is super weird and I just don't want to be a part of it. Like, maybe it's as simple as like everyone at that church is a nerd. Like, like hello, uh, me. Um, when we grumble and complain about the people who are a part of our family, James looks at us and says, not only will it break your family apart and tear you to pieces, he says, you're going to be judged. Um, he says, you are going to be judged. My computer passed away. <laughs> um, but he says that you are going to be judged. Was this just? Okay, that's crazy. Sorry about this. Um, well, forget that. Um, let me open one second. Um, he says, okay, you're going to be judged. And he says, and, and if you notice in the text, he says, oh, and by the way, the judge with a capital J that is like literally deity the father is standing at the door. He's standing there waiting as you to walk out and, and as you have sat there and mocked the other people in your church, insulted the other people in your church, talked trash about the other people in your church. The judge that is our father is sitting there waiting for us to judge us. It's an untalked about epidemic that we face in our church world today where for some reason we as Christians feel the right to sit here and trash on other Christians. We feel the right to sit here and, and complain about what other people in church are doing, to complain about everything that we see in church. And James sits here and so clearly says, hey, by the way, don't complain about your brother and sister. How cool would it be if at Southgate Church of Christ, people just like didn't talk bad about each other? If literally we were walking in the doors and we knew that once we walked in the doors, there was nobody who was going to say a single bad thing about us. Because like we understood this passage in James where he says, hey, don't talk trash about other people in the church. I think it can start with this group of people right here. James chapter five, verse 10. This is not worthless. Um, um, let's let's keep reading. Someone read verses ten and eleven for me. Hey, speak up! Speak up! As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Boldly consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord compassionate. Sweet, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I think it's really fascinating for us. Because we oftentimes like we'll look to the prophets and we'll be like, man, check out the prophets. The prophets are amazing, right? We look at the minor prophets, we look at the major prophets, and we're like, they're so great. And then it's like, yeah, but most of them were killed. And like literally most of them were murdered and, and destroyed because they were prophets. And we sit here and we like like worship them and like their image. Um, does anyone remember, for those of you who are here, do you remember like the day I interviewed for this job? Who remembers it? Anyone? Oh, I was here. Like, there's I was here. Okay. Sweet. Yes. I didn't All right. see the front row. All right. On that day, 
we talked about the minor prophet Hosea. And if you remember with Hosea, he, he was taught, he was a prophet. He was a prophet and he was told, you know what you got to do, Hosea? Go marry a prostitute. What? Oh, and by the way, when she does what she's going to do, since she's a prostitute, when she leaves you, what you're going to do is, is you're going to go, and instead of, like, she's your wife, but you're still going to have to go to the street corner and buy her back as your wife. Hosea, that's your job, and, and this gave this image of Israel, and it sits here, and it goes along with this idea, and we sit here, and we look at the prophets, and James is saying, we look at the prophets, and we're like, they are the most blessed people there is. The prophets are amazing. The prophets are great. The prophets are wonderful and yet they suffered greatly for what they did because if we were to look at them today they would not be blessed we would look at them today and we'd be like what on earth are they doing why are they going through that? We would look at the prophets and be like, man, they are radicals and weird and just interesting. And like, we don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Why can't they just be a normal person who walks through the doors of our churches? And James sits here and he says, we look at them and put them as being so great. And yet we ourselves have not made that decision to suffer on the earth in order to have the joy of the Lord in us. And then he goes in verse 12 and says, um, he says, he's just come off this idea of like talking about the prophets and talking about suffering for Christ and this idea of don't grumble against each other and be patient. And then he says, but above all my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. I think it's really fascinating that we're coming off this passage where he talks about so much, and he says, above all, do not swear. What? James, did you mean did you mean to put that there? Did you mean right there to say above all? And it goes along with this idea of persecution. See, in this time period, what a lot of them would do, I know I'm being distracted right now. In this time period, what a lot of yes. Um, so sorry. It worked. Okay, there you go. Um, in this time period, what a lot of them would do um, is like if they had a message to proclaim, they would go stand on the street corners and they would be like, I have a message to proclaim. And they would like sit there and shout it out. And if nobody was listening, their immediate reaction would be like, like, and they would start swearing. They would be like, you know what, I swear on this. And they would start using this, these big boasters like, phrases of swear, and they would literally swear, uh, and, and we hear this phrase so often, and it makes me cringe so often, it's this phrase of like, they would swear to God, and this idea of like, when they would go and they would just, when people would hear them swear to God, or swear to the gods, it was this idea where they were like, where, where they were like, ooh, that person right there must have something to say, because they're swearing to like, the utmost thing. Um, and the idea was, if I'm lying right now, let God curse me with everything he has. And James looks at him and says, when you're sitting there on the street and you have something to say, when you have something to say to people, are you really well willing to look at them and say, um, yeah, God, by the way, I'm going to tell people this, and if I'm wrong at all, you have the right to condemn me because I'm swearing this to you. 
I don't understand, and and maybe there's a reason that I just don't get, but in our culture, it's such a thing for us to be able to just pass over things where like we'll casually swear about something or casually make a promise about something. And James is like, oh, by the way, don't swear or like make an oath of any type. I said a second ago, like how cool would it be if our group was like known as this? How cool would our group, how cool would it be if our group was known as a group where if somebody were to be like, hey, can you do this? And we were just like, yes. Or we were just like, no, I'm sorry. If they were to be like, man, all they have to do is say yes or no. And we know exactly what we are getting. Because James says, no matter what, don't make an oath. We have to be strong in that area. 13 and 14, it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And, and this passage, what he's sitting here saying is like, hey, by the way, let your first response always be God. Let your first thought and mindset always be God. You're happy? Sing praise to God. If you're, if you're, um, if you're, what is it? If, if you're suffering, pray to God. No matter what you do, be in love with God over everything else. Um, it, may, it makes you think about this. When you're in love with somebody, whether it be like a significant other or a parent, uh, that's like the first person, or a friend maybe, um, like that's the first person you're sharing news with, right? Like, man, this is my best friend, this is my parent, this is my, my boyfriend or girlfriend or, or, or wife. Um, like our initial reaction is to be like, oh, this is amazing news, I just wanna go share it, like running over here. Um, this is embarrassing, I was on a cruise website earlier, trying to book a cruise, uh, seeing about how feasible, and like they gave me a prize and I immediately like, texted Amelia like, on my computer, of course. Um, I was like, check out this price! And I was so excited. Like, and um, anyways, that's like beside the point. Didn't book it, sad day. Um, but like, but like it was this idea of like, we want to share this great news as soon as we can with the person we love most. And James, James is literally asking us, hey, is God the love of your life? Is God the love of your life. You see the center of your life so much so that everything that you do is something that goes straight to God and you're like, man, God, thank you for letting me be a part of this. Man, God, please help me through this situation. And our initial response to everything that hits us in life is to go straight to God. See, we read this entire book of James and it sounds a lot like, man, we got to make sure to humble ourselves. We got to make sure to tame the tongue. We got to make sure to help the orphans and widows. But more so than just like a to-do list, James is simply requesting this, hey, I want you to have a relationship with God that is so deep, that is so much love, that your initial like thought is that everything revolves around him. Verse 15 says, in the prayer of the faith, will save the one and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working this is like a really interesting thought that like we don't a lot of times do um, how often is somebody struggling and you're like Hey, let me pray for you and like wrap my arms around you and like you guys pray together. It's a powerful thing, it really is. But James, like, you guys, do you guys see what 
he prefaces this with? Like the idea, like before he talks about somebody being healed, he prefaces it with, oh, by the way, confess your sins to one another. When's the last time you were like, hey, let's, let's pray for a God, let's pray to God for a prayer of healing for you. Um, what are you struggling with first off? Honestly, I think the only person I've ever done that with is my wife. Because we don't necessarily like to sit there and be like, hey, let me tell you what I'm struggling with. Let me tell you like the details and the, and the darkest things of what I'm struggling with. But the thing is, is, is when we are struggling with something and, and we want to we wanna go to God and pour ourselves out in prayer to him and we want to give him our all and we want his healing upon us, James, inspired by God, says, oh, by the way, you need to confess your sins to one another because once you confess your sins to one another, you are in this, this realm of a righteous person and, and that prayer is going to be the one that is effective. And it will be so healing. Do we believe the scripture can still do this? Do we believe the scripture that says, like, by the way, you can still be healed by prayer? By the way, God can still heal you. By the way, you are still going to be saved if you have faith in God. See, if we really believed in the word of God, we would give a call to the elders if we were really hurting and say, hey, by the way, we need you to come to us. Like it says in verse uh, verse 15, or 16, sorry. Or maybe it's not, sorry. It's verse 14 where it says, let them call for the elders. Um, I teased on Instagram earlier this idea of Elijah. I was like, how similar are you to Elijah? And here we go as we enter the final five minutes, three minutes of class, we get to understand this. Um, it says in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore his fruit. And when we ask the question of, of like, who was Elijah in comparison to us? How do we compare to Elijah? This verse answers this so plainly. And it says, oh, by the way, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. A lot of times when we think about Elijah, we sit there and we're like, Elijah's a big shot. He's like the prophet of prophets. Elijah's amazing. He's always mentioned. And yet James sits here and he's like, oh, by the way, Elijah was a man, a human being, just like us. Just like every single person in this room, Elijah was a human being. He was no different than any of us. And yet he sat there and he prayed for there not to be rain. And for over three years, there was no rain. He sat there and prayed for fire to come down from heaven so the altar could be burned up and fire came from heaven. And, and, and yet we sit there and we look at him as great. And James says, no, he's not great. He's not any better than you and I. He's not any better than, than like a human being today. Oh, by the way, you think Moses was better? Nope, Moses was a human being. You think David was better? No, they were all human beings. All these people that in this Old Testament chance is like, these people are nothing but people like us. We are people and Elijah was a person, yet Elijah could stop rain. Why? Because he had faith that his prayer 
could do things. And the question is, do we believe that God is going to do these things for me? Do we have enough faith in him to believe that he will do amazing things through us? And I want to finish the passage, and I wish we could spend so much more time on that. It says in verse 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders uh, from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back a sinner, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James closes this book that says, look, if, if you help bring someone back, you'll cover a multitude of your sins. It says you are going to have the ability to have an impact on someone's eternity. We could have broken that down a lot more as well, but I wanted to close with this. I've really enjoyed this study. Like, really enjoyed this study. Every week, getting to come in here and sit down and open up my favorite book in Scripture. But also, like, when I read it, as I've studied this, probably the most challenging book in Scripture. When we just open it up and read it for what it is. The entire theme of this book was being a, like a doer and not just a hearer. And the challenge I want to offer us like right now is taking this book and not just like have gone through this class and listened to it. Not have just gone through this class and let it be a thing that we, that we read through and then we come through and like we, we talk about taming the tongue, we talk about you know warning against worldliness and I'm like reading the headlines. And then we not just do that, but like do what it says and say, you know what, I'm going to take what it says and not care what the world says whatsoever. And I think he closes it so well with this whole paragraph. He says, no matter what you do, like the prophets suffered, it's time to suffer. Oh, and by the way, they were no different than us. They were the same as we were. It's time to act on everything that we've studied and use this study in James as a springboard for ourselves to allow God to become the number one love of our lives and to put him first and to do what he tells us to do.